Welcome back to Do Less Podcast with John and Jeff. Uh, we had some pretty great feedback coming in from you guys last podcast. Um, here, we got tons of examples. Uh, just one comment here. Uh, hey guys, uh, your podcast was really great. I was having a lot of trouble falling asleep last night and I put it on and I went right to sleep. So thank you. That's some great <laughs> feedback from our listeners. Um, we'll, we'll just try to keep that going. Uh, let's see. We got another one here. Um, hey, Jeff, uh, you borrowed my Chromecast three months ago and still haven't returned it. Please bring it back to me as soon as possible. So, I mean, listen, the feedback's great. Uh, we're on a good track here. And so we're just going to try to keep the ball rolling. But uh, one of our listeners asked, uh, what is do less? Why is your podcast called do less? So, uh, John, uh, I don't know if you want to elaborate on that. Yeah. Yeah. Just to reiterate, that's, uh, that's some great feedback. So thank, thank you guys for providing that and listening. We really appreciate um, our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so do less, uh, makes me think of the movie forgetting Sarah Marshall, uh, in a great scene where he's trying to learn how to surf and he, uh, his guide is telling him to, to do less and he's doing less and <laughs> he, said, he tells him, all right, now you're doing nothing. You got to do a little bit more than that. And that's kind of where we come in. Uh, we're, we're, we're here to call people out uh, to try to help them. We're, we're here to help people. That's what we're, that's why we started this podcast. We're, uh, we're, you know. Yeah. Think of us as Paul Rudd. Uh, guiding you on your surfing lesson through life. We'll, we'll you tell know? you when you're doing too much, mm-hmm. but and when you're you gotta, doing nothing at all. Yeah, we got. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep you in that sweet spot, and yeah, you know we're all we'll all get better. So. Um, yeah, we'll tell you when you're boogie boarding because we don't <laughs> you don't want to be boogie boarding. You want to be surfing. Yeah, um, but yeah, so do less is just the philosophy of. Um, when, when there's a matter, when there's a problem to be solved, um, you know, a lot of people come up with solutions, band-aids almost that they try to be expedient. They try to solve the problem. They say, oh, this went wrong. We can say, let's stop doing this. You know, let's stop doing X and Y and we'll solve the problem that way. Um, in a lot of ways, it's kind of jump into conclusions, jump in like quick thinking. It's not necessarily as effective. Um, sometimes the best solution, uh, which is actually a cognitive, uh, there's actually some cognitive dissonance with this solution, but doing less, doing, not just jumping to the quick solution, not just doing what's expedient, um, really thinking through, um, the problem allows you to, it allows you to, well, what it does, it, it puts the onus onto the people that are trying to come up with the solutions, trying to put the band-aid on it, um, and you can you can ask them, you know, prove that, you know, ask them to prove that what you're doing is the correct thing to do, um, which is a really hard thing to do. It's a it's it's a lot easier to say we don't know what to do, so we're not going to do anything, um, as opposed to we want to do something, so we're going to do something. So that's just kind of uh, kind of the mantra that stuck with us. It sticks with us, and it's applicable to all facets of life um including economics which is the main focus of this podcast along with other things but um you know we're we're going to be discussing economics uh today with the today being the day of the uh fomc meeting the federal reserve um came out 
with their policy. So, um, what else, Jeff? What 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 do you have to add? Yeah, I mean, uh, about do less. Uh, picture you're back in the classroom. It's uh, middle school. It's seventh grade, and something something's not right. You know, you know something's just not quite right at the end of class. And then there's always that one kid in class who raises his hand and says, teacher, you forgot to assign the homework. And then everybody in class is like, come on, put your hand down. Like, do less. That's do less, right? You know, if you had just sat there and just been like, hmm, something's not quite right. But, you know, I'm just going to go on my way and eat some Scooby snacks at lunch. Everything would have been good. But the fact that he just felt the need... You forgot to assign the homework. Now you all got homework. So sometimes the right solution is just do less. So here's another example. You're on a first date with a guy because you're a girl in this scenario. I don't know what to assume. Uh, But you're on a first date with a guy on uh, Tinder and you show up and he's carrying a bouquet of flowers. That's a little weird, right? What's he hiding? Why is he being so nice to you? He doesn't even know you yet. That's a lot. He's doing way too much. He's got to do less. What do you think, John? Exactly. Uh, <clears throat> sometimes doing less is the way you can do the most and be the most effective. So. Uh, Brilliant. Another thing, I was just reading this today. Um, it's something that I've actually been advocating for a while. Um is the NCAA is now going to allow student athletes to profit off of their likeness, off of their image, and off of their their name, um, which to me is kind of a no-brainer. But um, it, it's been it, it's been against the rules of the NCAA for quite some time. And just uh, just like today and yesterday, they they came out and said uh, college student athletes will be able to profit off of their their image. Within the hour of that announcement, there was a congressman from, I'm not sure where, but he tweeted uh, a direct reply to this, you know, this announcement from the NCAA was, um, now that student athletes are gonna be able to profit, it's, a, it's not fair that they're getting, they're getting scholarships. I'm going to make a point, if you reelect me to, to bring legislation against student-athletes and allow their scholarships that they receive to be counted as income so they'll be on the hook for income tax. You elect <laughs> me and I'll make this, I'll make this, uh, you know, I'll bring this to reality. And I just read that and I'm just like, <laughs> this guy is just, he's, it's just his bread and butter. He's just doing the most. Everything he's reading, he's just <laughs> he's spinning it. He's like, I'm just going to spin this and make you know make it for my reelection you know what to what am i what are my constituents going to vote for uh someone who can uh someone who can bring in more income tax that's it that's exactly what my constituents want just, and so he sees just that just like squeezing that lemon for all it's worth right <laughs> yeah it's just it's almost like he didn't even think it he didn't think about it. Like, didn't think about who's benefiting. Didn't think about who's, you know, what who's this good for. He was just thinking, how can I make the most out of this, and you know, right. just create this whole big, extravagant 
you know, scene out of something like that to just turn it around to be about himself. Um, yeah, do less, man. Do less. Right. Speaking of important things that happened somewhat recently, um, Obama, they cl- they took a click for, clip from him at, um, I guess, I don't know what it was. It was like a speech thing. I don't know. Some sort of get together. Yeah, some public interview. I, re- I really don't know what... Yeah, I don't know what it was about, but basically they had this video of him giving a speech talking about how, um, I guess he calls it call-out culture. Some people call it cancel culture. Um, Everyone's got a name for it. Uh, I call it doing too much. Um, But the point is, you got a lot of people who, if they see someone has committed a sin or what have you, they go immediately onto social media and just completely trash talk the person, try to bring them down. Some people be like, you need to fire this person from whatever they do because they said the wrong thing. And then when they get fired, everyone's like, ah, yes, I've done, I've done the Lord's work. Right. I've, I've made the world a better place. And basically what he's coming out and saying is, uh, this isn't activism. You know, you sitting at home, getting on social media and destroying someone's career through your outrage uh, over social media because they did one thing bad uh, and then getting them removed from the public eye somehow. Like the reality is they're probably not going to be in the public image anymore. And let's say they are a bad person. They're going to probably keep doing that bad stuff that you call them out for anyway. But let's say it was just an honest mistake. Then you basically just took someone who is probably generally a good person, probably trying to do their best, made maybe one or two honest mistakes, probably more than that. But this one, they got caught. And now they're unable to do good in the application that they were working in. And so... Is nothing better than a flawed something? I don't think so. I don't think Obama thinks so. And I respect that a prominent finger, figure like him is stepping up and saying this culture of living to like a perfect standard is no good for us. And you can't throw stones in a glass house is the saying. Meaning if you're calling people out for really what is harmless mistakes if you were in the public image, you would never last either. You know, you're just as fragile as these guys are and you're throwing stones and your glass house is going to shatter. What do you think, John? Yeah. For me, the the big thing is, um, there doesn't seem to be, um, the punishment doesn't seem to beget the crime. Um, right. In that sometimes someone, you know, some people do stuff when they're, young that's stupid and they wish they never did and when and when you look at someone who did something like that and then worked their whole life to reconcile that at what point like you got to be able to say like okay this person is a different person now they learned they grew um you know there's got to be a capacity for that in people and the thing is and what really gets what really grinds my gears what really gets me upset is when people are so willing to you know to look on the bright side of a person that they agree with or they're trying to you know push their political agenda 
the same political agenda as them. Um, but when, as soon as it's someone they disagree with, that is the worst thing that could ever be done. And it's mm-hmm. just, <clears throat> it's just a double standard. It's just, uh, you know, it, it's, it's tribalism. It's my, it's me versus that it's us versus them. And it's, uh, it, it, it's just like hypocr- hypocrisy and, um, it's just not smart. It's not smart. It's not a smart way to right. It's not where it's smart. Yeah, it's definitely not critical thinking. And on top of that, it's it's weird, right? So, like, let's say someone lived a life filled with bad mistakes. Like, maybe there's a murderer in jail. And then they come out of jail after having murdered someone. And they do something, like, really positive. We're We're weirdly very happy about that. Right. Whereas, like, someone who's lived a life mostly good and then commits a small bad mistake, we hate that person. Mm-hmm. Whereas, it, like, the murderer, it. we're much, we're able to forgive them because I guess they did all the bad things up front. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, we already know who this guy is about. And then he surprised us. And so now we're happy. It's almost like we're treating people like they're either good or bad. Mm-hmm. And we're just waiting for them to prove us wrong, I guess, which is completely strange. Right. Yeah, so good for you, Obama. We did. <laughs> Thanks, Obama. Th- thanks, Obama. <laughs> All right. Uh, so last time we talked about the Federal Reserve. And what do you have it? They met today. And they did some stuff. So (laughs) I think we should talk about what they did. Right. Um, Well, they did what we were expecting them to do, and they cut the federal funds rate by a quarter of a basis, or a quarter of a a a point, 25 basis points. Um, Which is how much percent for people who don't are familiar with points? uh, 0.25%. So the Fed funds rate was... Operating with within a range of point or 1.75 to 2 percent, and after this cut, the Fed funds rate should effectively stay within the range of point 1.5 to 1.75. <clears throat> so that's they call it that a 25 basis point cut, a uh, basis point being 0.01 percent. So don't get confused when we're sitting here saying, oh, like. Interest rates are too low. The Fed's a bunch of morons. They're not doing like we don't we don't know what the natural rate of interest is. Meaning, we don't know what the market rate of interest should be. We're saying no one does. We're saying no one is smart enough to just predict all the time exactly what all these different loans being supplied or all these demands for loans being supplied, all these savings being put on the market. What that super complicated system is going to produce in terms of a competitive interest rate. We're saying that's up for individual actors through trial and error to figure out. Like if a bank said, oh, this interest rate is way too high and then could it offer a lower interest rate loan for people and then profit off it, then that's going to bring their competitors down with it. So the market has forces to find what a proper interest rate should be when people try to change it and either profit or fail. If they profit, then the market's going to have to follow behind. 
if they lose money, then they're going to get kicked out of the market. And so what we're saying is we don't know what it should be any more than anyone does. And the point is the Federal Reserve is sitting here saying, we know what the market needs. We know what people need. And I, I think that takes a lot of hubris to say something so ambitious. Um, and so maybe, theoretically, the, the natural rate of interest could be exactly where it is today. But we're seeing a lot of strange activity in the markets that, to us, suggests that it's probably off. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um... <clears throat> And um, so when, he, when he's talking about a, a market, so that's supply and demand, and when he's talking about lending, the supply and demand is of savings, of people that have accrued wealth to invest and people that would like to use wealth in the current day that will be able to pay off in the future. So when there's uh, an ample amount of both, then you have lending occurring. In, you know, the, the, at a clear at the rate that the, that clears the market. Well, what determines that uh, rate? Well, if like Jeff said, someone was able to offer loans that are cheaper than the competitors, and they're able to to actually do the lending. Um, you know, what's the what's preventing them from just capturing all the market share? Well, if they're doing that, then they're going to be loaning just loaning funds to people that aren't necessarily creditworthy. So they're going to get burned on a couple of those and they're actually going to be worse off. So it's not just a matter of, you know, who can do the most of anything. It's actually a system of, you know, risk and reward of supply and demand. If the, if there isn't an ample amount of both, if there isn't an ample amount of savings, then, you know, you have a lot of demand for credit and then the, the natural rate, uh, which we were talking about would go up. And if there's a lot of people that would like credit, and there's not a lot of savers that can offer that credit, then the rate at which the... Uh... I think you mixed up the first one. So if there's a lot of savings uh, and not enough good ideas for businesses to put them to work to, um, or just not a lot of people looking for a loan, they don't need it, and there's a lot of savings, interest rates are going to be very low, right? Because it's, mm. uh, it's going to be... There's not... There's a high supply uh, and low demand. But if you have very few savers and a lot of people demanding because they have ideas for businesses that they need to get done, then you can charge a much higher interest rate because um, it's very low supply. Um, and that's just basic sort of supply and demand. That's probably one of the first things uh, people teach in economics. And it works the same way for money um, as anything else. Right, exactly. Any other good. And so... So what we're advocating for is for no one to intervene, for, to allow that market to, those market forces to operate, um, you would like almost definitely, almost guaranteed find a, a more natural rate than what someone can pinpoint and just choose every six weeks. But right. what we currently have is a Federal Reserve that acts in such a way. They meet every six weeks and they discuss policy you know, it's a bunch of bunch of people with their economics PhDs and their models and their statistics and their, um, you know, they just sit in a room for two days and they talk about it and they say, well, 
this is the this is the the correct interest rate and they'll come out and if you uh, were watching today uh, the the Federal Reserve chairman addressed the the nation he addressed the nation and and to explain the decision they'd made which was to cut rates 25 basis points well the interesting so I watched it I did watch it um, I didn't watch I wasn't, it full I wasn't able to uh, watch it during work. <laughs> I had to watch it afterwards, but I watched it. And funny funny enough, this is just a side note. It was on YouTube. I'm sure there was other streaming services, so I don't so this might be biased. This is uh but I, I was on YouTube and I saw that eight hundred and ninety five people had watched <laughs> the Federal the Federal Reserve's <laughs> lending decision. Your interest rate decision. So, there's 300 million yeah, people in this country. Football, football's way better. What's that? Football's yeah, way football. better. Yeah, it's just if Jerome Powell was putting on some pads and lighting people up during the FOMC, maybe people right. would watch it. That would be entertaining. Well, in fact, he doesn't even <laughs> really have to do. This is actually kind of unprecedented. Um, Federal Reserve uh, chairman in the past have not necessarily been as open and after every meeting uh having he does a an actual question and answer forum like an actual uh you know presentation kind of thing where in the past some federal reserve chairmen have just you know just discussed it chose the rates and just uh you know just released it released a statement without an actual question and answer so i do give i do give jerome powell props for trying to attempt a modicum of full disclosure but that's about as much as i'll give him because when he comes out there and he speaks it has gotten so bad with something called fed speak he just comes out and he just says the same kind of things over and over says it in a different way and it's meant to just confuse and not transmit much information at all it wasn't actually this bad like last year at this time uh he would come out and he would speak and he would actually say like real <laughs> sentences real statements and he would say like real thing. Now it's it's like night and day, in my opinion. He just comes out there, and he's he's got a piece of paper in front of him, and he's he takes a question, and when he gets the question, he looks down at his paper, and then he reads off the paper <laughs> like he's got prepared statements to say. It's just like it's so hard to like understand. Like it's and I'm saying I've been like studying this for you know a while of like what it means, like what what policy. What, what it means when they're enacting different policy um, and he's up there just speaking like he's saying words but there's nothing coming out it's just <laughs> I do encourage the listeners of this podcast if it intrigues you uh, go on YouTube search Jerome Powell you know 10:30:19 is today's date um, and just listen to what some of the questions and answers he he, he uh, doesn't impress me that much with what he's saying Uh. Yeah, but how long before our podcast has more viewers than the FOMC? Yeah, movie? that's it. That would be awesome. <laughs> that would be. Should that be the goal of do less? Yeah. Get more viewers <laughs> than Jerome Powell. Right. Then we say, "Hey, Jerome." We should set interest look, rates. We ha we have more we have more viewers. Uh, we let us set the next interest right. rate. Yeah. <laughs> Another weird thing is um, there's such an anchor anchoring bias in the Fed funds rate, right? So, like, they either go up or down 25 basis right. points. 
platforms pretty yeah. much most of the time, right? And so there's really no reason that the previous rate should be close to the rate right. it should be, right? right? There's absolutely no reason for that. And so it's just this complete anchoring bias to the previous rate that creates a lag effect in, for them to be able to respond quickly. Exactly. And it just goes to show you how just non-mathematical it is. It's just, it's like, it is policy. Like, it's a policy of numbers. It is numbers, but it's, mm -hmm. the numbers don't, you know, there's no mathematical proof that they're churning out. I mean, they have, right. they have like, numerical models. They have analytical data. But in it, if you're telling me that after all that analytical processing, by you and your whole team of PhD in economics, which is really a lot like mathematics. Like a PhD in economics mm -hmm. is so much math. Um, and so you tell me all these people came together and your result was a perfectly round 0.25, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like a, a multiple of 0.25, always. Of with of within the last of with, yeah, interest with, rate. Right. that can, And so, and look, maybe theoretically, with enough information, I'm really stretching myself in here, but with enough information, someone could produce a model for a more optimal interest rate than the market itself could figure out. It's, I'm not saying that's theoretically impossible, okay? But where, like, show us this model and, and show us why, theoretically, that model is going to spit out here's the optimal interest rate, right? And then you're just going to set that. It's not going to be like move up, move down. Mm -hmm. Right. Right? That's a weird way of doing right. it. And, uh, and the engineer but, in know, me, I'm classically trained as an engineer. The engineer in me just rejects what they do. Like It's just like that's not mm -hmm. mathematical. That's not scientific. That's, oh, and that's actually what he said today. That's one thing I was I had written down here to, to bring up. He said, "Oh, is that in the show notes?" Yeah, I'll uh, I'll include a link to this one in the show notes. But uh, a quote from Jerome Powell is, um, he was asked about specific wording, which with with Fed speak, like I was saying, it's very wordy. It's very uh, dance around the point. Don't really say what you're trying to say, but say everything else and kind of infer what you want to mean. But um, a, a question was specifically about the wording. Uh, in, in the statement they released, they released the statement first, and then they do the press conference. So the, in, the, in the Federal Reserve statement, FOMC statement, they used the term, assess the appropriate path for the Fed funds rate. In the, in the, um, in the press conference, while answering one of the questions, Jerome Powell said the, term, the phrase, likely to remain appropriate like this fed funds rate is likely to remain as opposed to assess the appropriate path so kind of just like a the question was about um like are you guys in a holding are you guys like holding steady uh you just cut rates but now you're gonna stay here or are you you just cut rates and now you're looking forward for the next either hike or cut so it's just kind of like a very technical question about the wording they use and it was really it at first, I just kind of like wanted to dis dismiss the question as like, oh, like I don't even know what how I would answer that. That's just like you're just uh, asking too much of a technical question. But Jerome Powell, instead of kind of shrugging it off, he he doubled down. He said, "Oh, we we determine our language in our me in our statement and our press conference 
based on practice and science and history in determining the, the post-meeting statement. And so he's specifically citing, I mean, practice and history, I can kind of, I, okay, that's fine. Like, yeah, you pra I'm sure you do practice it a lot. I, I mean, that's your only job <laughs> to do these press conferences. And history, yeah, I mean, there's 100 years of Federal Reserve chairman, so there's probably something that got passed on the line. But you're telling me science in the, you de you're determining your wording based on science? I don't think so. Like, what <laughs> scientific model is coming up with assess the appropriate path versus likely to remain appropriate? It's just, it's it's actually very entertaining. <laughs> I, I do, I, that's, I mean, that's why we're here. That's why we're talking about it. It is entertaining. It's like these people parading about this super complicated thing that's, you know, we're, we're going to talk about it, and it's, it's you know, very approachable. You know, look at me. I'm having this press conference. You can ask me questions, ask me whatever you want. And then you come out and say something like that, and it's just like, like what are you guys doing like, like just be honest like you know I, I don't know it, that's something that that bothers me yeah and I mean I think if they were being honest they would say some pessimistic things um, right because they're cutting rates and so like based on the monetary theory which I don't agree with but the monetary theory is that you need to ease the monetary environment during bad times so that people have a h easier time getting things going to, to, to really juice the recovery, right? So if they're easing, then that means they see bad times either now or in the future, near future at least, right? And so if they're cutting rates but also saying there's no problem, those are in direct contradiction of one another. Right. And so they're not being honest. But what I think is happening is they think if they're being pessimistic, oh, the public just can't handle mm -hmm. that. Then we'll just go into a spiral. Everyone will close down their business and the entire American economy will come to a halt. And it's like if our economy is that fragile in the first place, you know, we got some bigger problems than the words Jerome Powell uses at the Fed conference. Yeah, and I mean, that's, you're definitely right. That's the, that's idealistic. Because um, what actually ends up happening, the reason they have to act this way is because you, you get something like you, what we saw in December where he just said like one word, I forget the word. He said like one word in the press conference that was, was like, was like pretty, pretty hawkish, like kind of indicating they were going to mm -hmm. raise rates in the future which is mm -hmm. is less favorable for businesses, especially businesses that are in that borrow money because that means that they're going to have to borrow at a higher price uh, at a higher interest rate. Um, and um, they, he said like one word and the stock market lost two percent and and so <laughs> and people came out and were like, oh like why like Powell, you didn't choose your words carefully you didn't you know <laughs> and it's just like what? It's not up to one person to have a uh, right. like. How absurd! It's absurd. Like one guy choose the wrong one word, word, and then like. And that's billions <laughs> of dollars. That's a hundred. That's maybe tens of billions or hundreds of billions of dollars of market value, in two percent <laughs> of the of the of the Dow Jones or the S and P five hundred. Like that's just right because he said the wrong word. Like you just gotta step back and say, Are you really? Am I really gonna tell him he said the wrong word choice, or am I gonna look around me and think? Something about these companies isn't right. If one word can send their stocks down, the broad market down 2%, like that's just something's not. Yeah, like 
I don't know about you, but uh, like the people making bread and things that people are never going to stop buying. I don't think they care when Jerome Powell says if instead of else right. or whatever, yeah. like, you know, cause these things, they are important and they matter and they're not going anywhere. Right. And so, yeah, maybe their bottom line would be effective, but probably not. Cause they're not borrowing a bunch of money, but like, it's really companies that it have a dubious existence that a word here or there can significantly affect their share price. Right. That's yeah. If you so weird world. To look if at. your outlook on borrowing money at two point seven five percent versus two point five percent, you know, <laughs> if that's gonna if that's gonna send your actually there is a company called Conagra. I think it's that same day, the December the December uh, FOMC meeting. I might have the date wrong, but there was one company that he said something hawkish, and the company went down twenty percent. It's just like that's it's just that's the straw that broke the camel's back. I don't think that that I don't think that I'm going to invest in that company, even though now we're in a dovish cycle, which is the opposite of hawkish, of rate cuts, and that stock has since gained back that twenty percent on the the idea that it's going to be able to borrow cheaply. I don't think that that's a right. company that I want my money in because it's like that's how fra that's how flimsy and fragile it is. Like that. That's it. Just doesn't make sense, right? And I mean, how many projects are just sitting on the shelf right now because the Fed funds rate is just twenty five basis points too high? You know, like we've had essentially zero percent interest for the past ten years. If that's not enough time of low interest to fund all the good ideas out there. Like, I really don't know what is. So the idea at this point that like some good idea is just waiting to be taken off the shelf, but our, our fed funds rate just, it it wasn't ready to go up to to 2.5. We just got to bring it back down to 2.25 or whatever. That is really dubious to me as a proposition. I think basically right now, all the good ideas have been had. And they have been funded. And that's why you see crazy companies out there that have done nothing but lost money since their existence going public. They have done nothing but ever lost money in their existence. And then they go public thinking people are going to buy this. And then they do. And they do buy it. So if you ask me, every good idea has been funded. Every Almost every bad idea has been funded too. Right. And so the idea that what this market needs is low interest rates is pretty absurd to me. So and so I wouldn't disagree with that, but I would maybe just add um, add on to it. And I would say that when you say every good idea has been funded, some I would say some good ideas have been funded and were beaten out by bad ideas because in a in a low rate environment in a potentially negative rate environment True. it's actually not fair to say a company that's smaller with less revenue um, they can just get beaten out by a company with that's larger with greater revenue because even if that larger company isn't able to be as efficient um, in, in a in a competitive market it's really down to efficiency like that's how you that's how you gain market share if you're mm-hmm. able to create a product that's 
that's a better value at a lower cost, you're being more efficient and you will beat the competition. But with low interest rates and you're able to borrow so easily, um, a large company is able to cover their losses. They, have, they can operate less efficiently and can sell right. at a lower price point to make up for their lack of efficiency. And it, just until a point where the, the good competition is wiped out and gives up and yeah. and what and when it comes down to it, it's a it's a race for borrowing and when you're borrowing money uh, a, a corporation that borrows money it's largely looked at what their revenue and their market cap so you look at those mm-hmm. things and the the bigger company is going to have bigger of both of those so they're going to be able to borrow they're going to have a, a larger credit line to borrow um, and so a larger company is has a higher advantage over a smaller company that may be more efficient just because they're able to um, to price them out of the market through cheap money. Right, and they can even uh, take do a leveraged buyout where they take out loans and basically offer them a price where they'd be stupid to refuse mm-hmm. and then buy them out. But that offer is basically being subsidized by the Federal Reserve. You know, like in a competitive market, this idea where you could just buy out all your competition wouldn't last very long. Like eventually you'd run out of capital to keep doing, keep this going right. and you'd have to get more efficient. But when borrowing um, is so cheap. But if you have a, if people subsidizing your borrowing, then yeah, you can leverage out and just <clears throat> do these buyouts and then, you know, just keep buying out your competition. Exactly. So, um, and we do we did we did record another episode called the moral hazard of negative interest rates which we may release um, in part or in full at a, at a later date um, but this is part part of that and this and there's a lot more that goes into it but uh, it's just another reason why deviating from the natural rate the, the market the true market rate of lending um, can be catastrophic for economies because you're just you're just inviting the destruction of efficiency, and when you lo- when you're destroying efficiency, you're destroying value. You're losing value where you otherwise would have had value. So, um, it's really not something you want to mess with. <clears throat> the the rate of lending is so important to an economy, and uh, if you get it wrong, it's it can be devastating. Um, so. <clears throat> Right. And if you get it wrong on the high end, that's bad too, right? So, you know, that can stifle growth in your economy. So it goes both ways. It's just to us, the idea that zero would be on the high end. (laughs) Unlikely. It's probably not unlikely. So that's a good. So we. Go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, we assume we're probably been too low. Right. But the point is here, we don't know what the real rate is. Maybe it was zero. Yeah, so that. Maybe we're That's wrong. a good segue to another thing I have in my notes about what he said. One of the questions that was brought up was, um, was like, was like, Chairman Powell, do you think that you're creating an accommodating environment for for business um, with your interest rate policy? And Jerome Powell looked in the audience. He looked right at me. He said, uh, "We're offering, you know, a Fed funds rate at 1.5 to 1.75 percent." When you adjust for inflation, that real rate is lo- is lower than zero. He he straight up said the real rate is below zero. <laughs> so he said yes. I think we're being accommodative. I couldn't <laughs> believe that he actually admitted that that he admitted because that's such a taboo thing. Having negative interest rates is 
it's very, you know, it's backwards. It's for a lot of reasons we were just <laughs> saying and more. Uh, it's not really, it shouldn't really be welcome in an economy. It's kind of like a twilight zone. And so for him to come out and say it, he said the real rate, which is the rate adjusted for inflation, is below zero. He's just basically admitting, like, and so when I when he said that, it, it I was awestruck. I was like, I can't believe he said that. It must have been a mistake. Like, he must have, you know, <laughs> he 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 definitely shouldn't have said that. That that's really, you know, that's that shows how kind of Who put a question mark on the teleprompter. Yeah, <laughs> real rate is below zero. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but so he said that, and I was like, oh, that must have been a mistake. Like, I'm sure he didn't mean that. Like, that makes us look so goofy as a nation to be operating with like this. Twilight Zone uh, lending rates, but I was thinking about it more, and I think that he might actually be, it might actually be a, a, the beginning of a plot. Um, if he sees something really bad that that the economy is not really kind of privy to, um, which could be the case. I mean that I mean they're cutting rates while saying the economy is in a great spot, which is it's not, which doesn't make sense in itself. But um, so if something's really bad that he's not really telling us, um, and his plan is to actually <clears throat> have negative rates on the table as a potential option, um, saying something like that could be his gateway to like if we get ever get to the point where our nominal rate, so the rate before inflation, is at zero mm. and he wants to cut again, he could say, "Well, look back past," you know. Right. Excuse me. The past, you know, year we've been operating in real negative rates. So what's a, what's the big deal if it's nominally nominally negative? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of his his step in the his toe in the water and saying, "Don't worry, like our economy is functioning and we have negative rates and negative real rates." So in the future, if he's going to say, "Okay, we're going negative nominally," he can say, "And don't worry about it. We've already had ne- negative real for the past, you know." such and such yeah can you imagine like a ceo standing in front of uh his shareholders and he's just laying off people left and right like massive layoffs and they're like hey why are you laying people off and he's like oh everything's great right now everything's fantastic it's it's, we all know what this is a sign of and yet he's just standing there oh everything's great everything's great and so what so jeff what you're comparing layoffs is cutting rates like cutting rates is like right. the economy needs help the economy needs stimulus it's not doing well on its own. Mm-hmm. for him to cut rates and then come out and say everything's great like we have a really strong economy and it <laughs> looks like it's going to stay that way and as if it stays that way we're going to keep cutting rates he, he didn't say that but that's what a logic that's a logical conclusion you can make from that statement like it's not data he said he keeps saying like oh we're data di- we're data dependent we're data driven we're going to mm-hmm. you know make assessment as more data comes out We'll be able to make, you know, we're open to any option of moving forward, you know, rate hikes, rate cuts, rate staying, like rate pauses. Um, we're open to all that. We're just data data dependent. It's like, well, I don't believe you because right now you're telling me that, like, <laughs> the data's good and you're cutting rates. So it's like, I don't know what to believe. All right. Um, <clears throat> I also have written he, he kept saying he kept talking about uh how the difference between quantitative easing which was in 2009 to, through 2014 and what he's doing today with the repo market 
and in like the term lending, um, which is the same as quantitative easing, but he's like it's not quantitative easing. He's like in two thousand nine after two thousand eight, we were buying long term treasuries with the hope that long term treasury yields would go down. Currently, what we're doing is we're purchasing short term treasuries <laughs> with the with the, the short term treasury yields go down. It's like it's nothing <laughs> totally, totally different. different. <laughs> so it's like that was making me laugh because it's like I don't yeah I hear what you're saying but I don't <laughs> agree with you. I think that's very much the same. Thing. Um, he he was talking about trade uncertainty. He got a couple questions on trade uncertainty, which is the the China tariffs, um, which they've cited in the past in past meetings. They've cited they've cited trade uncertainty. When Donald Trump has been raising tariffs and um, China has been re retaliating, and it was a really funny wording of one of the, because he mm -hmm. said, we've he said we've seen some trades, you know, uncertainty kind of diminish, but he's like we haven't seen like maintained, uh, maintained, like a constant um, trade regularity. Like he was just saying like we have to see a period of long maintained constant trade like stability um he, he said what we saw is we saw a phase one potential agreement <laughs> like he like, like he, he couldn't like obviously he couldn't say they got a phase one deal or they got a you know they got anything in writing because that's not true they got a, a phase one. he's like and we and you know we've we've seen yes a phase one potential deal but um a phase one category seven right uh, section two. Right. <laughs> it's, just... It, it's just another one of those things where he wants to leave it on the table. Like for him to say something like, "Oh, trade uncertainty has all but left us," <clears throat> then in the future he's not able to say, you know, trade uncertainty because people will say, "Oh, I thought that left us." Um, <laughs> he's got to leave the door open so that in the case of Trump tweets tomorrow, you know, you know, hike tariffs to fifty percent. He could say like, "All right, we're cutting rates again because we gotta accommodate for that." Mm -hmm. And there's the question: <coughs> of, Should the Fed even be accommodating for bad policy from the executive office? Like, you know, let's say the president comes out and says, uh, "You know, I'm I'm banning sliced bread. I've had enough of it." That's your second. No, no more. That's your sli second sliced bread metaphor. You uh. You got something on the on the mind? I'm out of I'm out of sliced bread, and I have all these cold cuts. They're gonna go bad. <laughs> so you do really, you really are thinking about sliced bread. If any of you our listeners can send me a, some sliced bread, that would be fantastic. Um, but so let's say the president. <laughs> all right, let's say he bans Fruit Loops. I don't know. My point is, <laughs> that's stupid. We should not be banning Fruit Loops. Okay. Right. And if the Fed goes, oh, you know, they throw their hands up, you know, like, we got to ease. What can we do? He's banning Fruit Loops. Right. Like, is that is that what they should be doing? Just basically accommodating every poor policy decision coming from the executive branch? No, because then they're just enabling bad decision making. And then we don't bear the consequences of those poor decisions. So, you know, I, they shouldn't be just accommodating whatever negative impact and let's say it's not even a bad decision let's say you know let's say these tariffs actually are very important for uh 
making China correct its behavior, which I yeah. I don't necessarily buy that the Chinese government is going to start giving treating its civilians with human rights and dignity because we put tariffs on them. But let's say it's going to work. Let's say it's the right policy. Um, you know, there's still a cost to that, and we should bear it and evaluate, is this worth the trade-off? Everything, nothing is just good. Nothing is just absolutely good. It's good compared to all other options. There's no such thing as, like, this is absolutely good all the time. You know? Like, uh, sliced bread. <laughs> Pretty good. Not for $100, right. it's not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll just, you know, I'll, then I'll get Fruit Loops unless they're banned. I'll bad. buy whole bread. <laughs> and I'll slice it myself. <laughs> yeah, I'll just, buy, I'll just buy the whole loaf and slice it. If they're charging $99 to slice my bread, you know, there's a limit. Right. And so, you know, some decisions may be worth it, but it, you have to bear the cost and evaluate, is this worth it? And if the Fed's just taking away all the costs and burying them and kicking the can down the road to a later date, you know, then we can't accurately assess what is a good idea and what's a bad idea. Right. Yeah. That's a really good context. Um, and that's actually all in all decision-making, uh, to, to remember, you know, there's no absolute good or bad. It's always framed with the, with the cost of making that decision. Um, I mean, in economics, they call that opportunity cost, mm -hmm. and that's a very important thing to understand about economics. Uh, a prime example, another example that's very good, is let's say you win some concert tickets, and they're like front row seats, and they would go for $1,000. Um, and now you look at this concert and you go, wow, I would never pay $1,000 to go see this show front row. But you keep those tickets and you go to the show. You could have sold those tickets for $1,000. So if you keep the tickets that you won, even if you got them for free, and you keep them and you go to the show, you're in effect trading $1,000, which you could have in your hands, to go see that show, which is no different than trading $1,000 you currently have for those tickets to go mm -hmm. see the show. So either way, no matter what the market price of those tickets, or no matter what, whether you got the tickets yourself or whatever, you are in effect paying the market price of those tickets to go see that show, no matter what. Yeah. Because you can always make that right. trade because the market clears at that trade. Yeah, like um, not spending $1,000 uh, or sorry, spending a thousand dollars is effectively the same thing as not receiving a thousand dollars that you otherwise could easily uh, receive. Mm -hmm. So choosing not yeah. exactly. Um, another so the last little quip I had about um, this uh, <clears throat> this Federal Reserve press conference uh, from Jay Powell was. He kind of went, he was kind of going in, he had a question about the repo market, um, which we, we spoke about on the last podcast about how short-term lending has kind of basically been spiking. Um, it seems that banks don't want to lend at the, 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 the rate that they're subjected to. They want to get higher yields for the, their 
the reserves that they have um, and thus they they're demanding that the rate goes up for them to lend the money well Jet, Jerome Powell um, well, cited this. He said, we're doing some forensics on the repo market. They're anticipating the repo operations to last all the way into January of next year. And uh, so he's like, it's normal. It's just a technicality. We're just, you know, we're looking at what's going on. He said, the strange, he said, I don't know if he was even supposed to say this. He's like, the strange thing I noticed, or the strange thing we noticed was uh, we asked some of the actors, we asked some of the banks in, in, the, in the repo market, um, what what rate of of um, reserves they're comfortable with, and we looked at them, and they actually had an amount of reserves that was above and beyond the rate that they're comfortable with. So that means they have reserves that are uh, available for the overnight lending market. Um, he said, but there's a strange amount of restriction that we've noticed. The liquidity flow that you would expect in that scenario wasn't actually flowing. The 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 banks with uh, lending capability we're not actually participating in the overnight lending market and he's like so we're actually looking into that to see why they're doing that and I just like I was just looking at him and I was like well I'll tell you why they're not doing that because the rates are too low <laughs> they don't want to lend them their excess <laughs> reserves because they don't feel comfortable with the rate at which they don't feel like the other entities are current worthy they want a higher rate which yeah, is why like, the spikes in the rate it's how about how about they don't want <laughs> <Yeah>. it <laughs> Like yeah. that's a good enough right. reason, you know. Like, oh, why why aren't they? Because they don't wanna. <laughs> yeah. They demand and people a aren't gonna price. do. <laughs> you aren't gonna do what they don't wanna right. do. So if you try to be like, oh, you should be doing this, they can just say, hey, don't wanna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, again, I encourage. The listeners, uh, especially if you're just getting into to economics, to um, you know macroeconomic policy kind of, which is what this is, um, I, I encourage you to take a take a look at the the press conference from Jerome Powell yesterday, and just see if what he's saying makes sense to you. Um, it probably won't. Does make sense to me? <laughs> um, but. Uh, <laughs> It's also interesting once you hear him say what he says to then go read, you know, Yahoo Finance will publish articles, CNBC will publish articles. Oh, the, the Fed, you know, the Fed cut rates. And this is why, you know, they, oh, they saw this and they saw this. And, and people just try to backfill the information that would make, like, would make the story. <laughs> like, oh, this is why. Like, of course right. they did this because this is why. And so you just look at it. Right. They always write it after right. the fact. <laughs> yeah. That's the, everyone is like. Let's see what the Federal Reserve does, and then they do it, and it's like, of course they did this, and here's why. And it's just like, <laughs> you know, it's just it's a load of baloney. It's just you got to look at it and you got to understand that, um, uh, and learn. <laughs> <laughs> well put, John. Well put. Uh, yeah, I mean, so if this podcast, if you listen to this podcast and you're still awake, go check out the FOMC <laughs> meeting. And uh, we, we promise that your problem will be solved. Um, and, you know, you might learn something or two. I will, I will include a link in the uh, show description um, that will actually take you right to the, the, show, the notes? show notes. The show will take you right to the, that YouTube video. So, um, yeah. Anything else you want to discuss? <clears throat> um, 
No, I think we've covered enough today. Yeah. Uh, we'll definitely be doing more. Not every episode is going to be about the Fed. So um, we just think it's important. And, and they just cut rates. We're trying to... Yeah, and they just cut rates, which is relevant. Um, but we just think it's important and not, not really enough people our age. We're, we're like 25. I don't know, what are you, 26, 26. now, John? 26, uh, you old bastard. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, not a lot of young people, people our age, really care about them or what they do, and which I, I understand because we don't have that much money saved up probably unless you're freaking awesome and you're killing it. Um, so I guess it's not super relevant, but it is relevant to the economic outlook that we're facing. And, you know, if we get another financial crisis and labor markets are completely screwed up and there's nowhere to find a job and you're sitting around wondering what the heck happened, you know, what's going on. And you're like, people are going to be throwing blame left and right. You know, everyone's going to have someone to blame. But if you really actually have a good understanding of what's going on and what are really the big players here and have a sense of scope, you'll be able to make sense of a twisted upside down world and it won't just hit you on the upside of the head. You know, I'm sure if you were working at WeWork and you got laid off and you're like, what the heck happened? Maybe you won't be as surprised if you had a bigger bigger sense of scope and realize that, you know, this type of company is kind of sketchy in the first place. Um, but yeah, we just think it's, if it's on the list of things that are important and to be worried about, you know, behind sliced bread, this is a pretty good one. So it's definitely something to be thinking about. Absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. All right. Well, see you next time. (laughs) 